0: Nancy Duff is uh, our speaker of the moment. Um, Nancy uh, teaches here at Princeton Theological Seminary and has done uh, for some good long time. She's the Stephen Cowell Associate Professor of Christian Ethics here. Um, Nancy, I met Nancy first uh, during my brief sojourn at the university here in 2000, 2001. Um, when I was uh, essentially in the archives reading Paul Lehman's mail all day long. Uh, His papers had just been deposited here in the seminary uh, special collections and Nancy was one of my first points of contact with uh, someone who knew Lehman and could introduce me to other people who knew Lehman as well, so I've always, remain grateful to Nancy for her hospitality at that point. Um, Nancy's work takes her um, uh, into all all manner of of ethical fields and debates, biomedical ethics, uh, sexual ethics in particular, theology of the Christian life. Um, In addition to work on Paul Lehman's um, ethics and indeed uh, editing for publication his uh, posthumous book on the Decalogue. Um, She has a brand new book which is related to the the paper which we're to hear this afternoon, Making Faithful Decisions at the End of Life, Westminster, John Knox. Um, There are copies to be had upstairs, or there were. I think you may have missed out. Um, She's working on a follow-up project at the minute, uh, the provisional title of which is Living Faithfully into Older Age. Um, So with that, uh, uh, Nancy, I'll invite you to come up and to give your paper, The Ethics of Resisting and Accepting Death in Karl Barth's Theology.
1: For several weeks, but especially as I got closer to the deadline, my husband has heard me complain more and more about writing this. And I would say things like, I am so tired of hearing, of reading about, and writing about death, enough already. And I'm sure for you, since this is the fifth lecture on death, you're feeling much the same way. But nevertheless, I am very grateful to uh, Phil and to Kate for inviting me to be part of the conversation. In 1946, in Dogmatics and Outline, Karl Barth reflects on the word buried from the Apostles' Creed. Buried, it stands there so unobtrusively and simply superfluously. But it is not there for nothing. Someday we shall be buried. Someday a company of men will process out to the churchyard and lower a coffin, and some will go home. But one will not come back, and that will be me. 22 years later, on December 13, 1968, Karl Bart was buried in a cemetery in Basel, Switzerland. He had died in his sleep three days earlier when he was 82 years old. Bart's death was peaceful, the kind of death that most people say they would prefer. Dying at home in one sleep without the prolonged agony that often accompanies death when dying in a hospital. Consider a different kind of death. Patient X who is terminally ill goes to the emergency room in respiratory distress. A temporary breathing tube is inserted down her mouth and into her lungs. After two weeks when she still cannot breathe on her own, the temporary breathing tube is replaced by a trach inserted directly into her airway and a feeding tube is inserted into her stomach. While she consented to these procedures no one really told her what this might mean. For her, it means she will be transferred to a long-term care facility. She will not die at home as she had wished. In fact, she will never go home again. She will never taste food again. She won't be able to turn off the annoying game show that the nurse in her room likes to watch. And finally, after many weeks, in a facility across town from her family, she will die alone. Medicine has a once unimaginable capacity to extend life. And that is something for which we all need to be grateful, those of us who have access to it. But the chances of dying, as patient X did, have increased as have people's fear of dying in ICU, hooked up to machines and isolated from family and friends with no hope of ever again experiencing life as a gift. None of us can guarantee a peaceful death such as Bart had, and none of us can guarantee that we won't have a prolonged and miserable death such as patient X had. But talking about death and rendering our wishes in writing can increase our chances of a good death. The problem is, most people don't want to talk about death. We don't want to admit that we are going to die or talk about what we believe, what we fear, and what we hope. Part of my intention in addressing Bart's view of death is to commend Bart's powerful theological reflections on death in Church Dogmatics 3.2 and 3.4. Bart is ruthless in his insistence that we confront our mortality, and in his reminder that our continued attempted flight from death will become increasingly hopeless. His stark description of the reality of death can encourage us to acknowledge that someday we will be the person who was taken to the cemetery and who doesn't return. By facing our mortality, perhaps we will be more willing to talk about death. The primary purpose of my address is to show how BART's theological reflections help us to assess moral issues surrounding death, especially medical aid in dying, which I will also refer to as physician-assisted death. That is laws that allow physicians to prescribe a lethal dose of drugs to someone who has six months or less left to live. I support such a law. I believe that Karl Barth would not. But I also believe that Barth's reflections on death provide a profound theological foundation to assess medical aid in dying. I will focus on two significant aspects of Barth's understanding of death. First is a dialectic. On the one hand, Barth says death is a threat to God's good creation. On the other hand, he says God created us to be finite, and death is a part of God's good creation. Since the Bible includes both those claims, it's important to grasp Bart's insistence that we hold on to both of them. Second, Bart says that God commands us to will to live. And while it is not an absolute command, he allows us very few exceptions, employing his concept of the exceptional case. I will focus specifically on his claims about euthanasia and suicide to show how his theology helps us consider the moral integrity of medical aid in dying. To be clear, and I will mention this later, medical aid in dying, physician assisted death is neither suicide nor euthanasia. Although critics of it will claim that it is. I do think that Barth's reflections on those two things, euthanasia and suicide, and his rejection of them can easily be transferred to medical assistance in dying. And I will show why I disagree with some of his arguments. But before turning to Barth's theological claims, I want to point out two things about Barth's ethics that are important to medical ethics, especially as we consider the end of life. First, for Barth, life does not have absolute value this marks a significant departure from the reigning ethos of medicine as well as the position of many Christians who believe that faith does in fact teach us that life has absolute value both medicine and those Christians who hold to that view tend to believe that everything must be done to extend life any form of life that is still breathing as long as possible Hence, with our patient X, no one considered whether the trach or the feeding tube were likely to extend a life worth living. And that maybe, when the temporary breathing tube didn't work, it was time to stop treatment for this terminally ill patient. I believe that a great number of people have have suffered greatly because of the belief that life is sacred and has absolute value. So I appreciate that Bart rejects that view. Bart says that to ascribe absolute value to life is a form of idolatry. While he insists on the importance of bodily life, which I appreciate a great deal because not all theologians do, he does not, review, he does not reduce the value of human life to bodily functions. Hence, a crass kind of biologism is ruled out of bounds whereby the human person is reduced to nothing more than an unconscious body that breathes in and out, possibly with the help uh, of artificial assistance. Bart doesn't address the condition of permanent vegetative state, but I believe one can rightly use his theology to argue for the removal of life support in such a case. The second point in Bart's ethic for us to consider has to do with the exceptional case. Unlike Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who has a concept of the borderline case, Bart ties the exceptional case to the command of God. In the exceptional case, God must command the action involved before the agent can act accordingly. I disagree. I think the exceptional case should stand under human freedom rather than divine command. Even though Bart does join divine command with freedom, he says divine command means freedom, I believe that making a divine command necessary in the exceptional case so severely restricts action that it challenges Bart's otherwise contextual ethic. Keeping in mind uh, those two reflections on Barth's ethics, we turn to two of Barth's theological affirmations. First, Barth says death is the enemy that seeks to destroy God's good creation and that being created finite marks part of God's good creation. Concerning the first part of this dialectic, death is the enemy, Bart sometimes employs apocalyptic language that he takes from the Old and New Testaments to describe death. Death is a power, a kingdom on the offensive, which invades the areas which properly belong to the world of life. Death is not our friend, nor is it natural. It is an enemy with a destructive purpose. And it isn't simply the enemy at the end of our lives, Even during life, we find ourselves in death's clutches. Sick, accursed, imprisoned, or lonely, we find ourselves on death's slippery slope and under its sentence. Death belongs to chaos, to the world which God neither willed nor created. Death stands under God's no. Of course, there is no Manichaeism here at work here, Death is not a power equal to God. Death stands under the power and at the disposable of God, disposal of God. Though it is our last enemy, it cannot do what it likes with us, Bart says. But death is not natural because it is the consequence of sin, which is also not natural, which was not part of God's original will for creation. Even as death is the enemy. It is God's punishment for sin. We not only stand in the shadow of death, we stand in the shadow of guilt. We have rightly fallen prey to death's destructive power and purpose because humanity sinned against God. But on the other hand, Bart says, we were created finite. We were created to have an allotted time that has a beginning and an end. In the Bible, an angel with a flaming sword was set outside the garden from which Adam and Eve were expelled so they couldn't return and eat from the tree of life, lest they become like us. That is, lest they become immortal. Adam and Eve were created finite and would have experienced death apart from sin. The fact that we are finite, that each person is given an allotted span of time is not, according to Bart, an evil in itself. And Bart still says that death is never our friend. But if we consider our finitude carefully, it can have a positive effect on the way we live. Acknowledging that we, excuse me, that we are mortal Admitting that we are going to die but never fearing death can lead us to take advantage of the unique life that is given to each of us. Bart writes, unique means this one time exclusively. It means once and not twice, once and never again. The limitation which this implies is staggering. I am and can be only what I am at this one time in the few years of this single lifetime. Christians, Bart reminds us, do not believe in reincarnation. Although grace may provide us with a life of second chances, life itself does not. There will come a time when our whole past is behind us and the present moment is still with us, but we will have no future. There will be a time when our singular life comes to an end with no additional chance to do it all over again. Railing against our mortality, wishing we had another life to live in the world, Bart says is ruled out of bounds. We would, in fact, do well, he says, to take the advice of the ancients who claimed carpe diem. Bart is not calling us into some kind of frantic and anxious attempt to fill the time. That kind of frenzied activity results from the fear of death. Rather, we seek to seize the day because it is in here our unique opportunity that we are pointed directly to the grace of divine calling. And this he continues to talk about in 3.4, which I also highly recommend, where he talks about the unique opportunity, our call, the stages of life, our vocation. It's one of the most beautiful sections, I think, in the dogmatics. But a question remains, how can the Bible teach both that death is the, is the enemy and that part of God's good creation is that we are finite? How can both things be true of the one death we all face? Barth addresses this question by distinguishing between a first and a second death, even though they occur together. Based loosely, in my opinion, on Hebrews 9.27, which says that just as it is appointed to mortals to die once, after that is judgment. Bart makes a distinction between the fact that we will all die, the first death, and that death which is a sign, which is the judgment of God, the second death. The two occur simultaneously, but they are not the same kind of death. And it is from the second death that we are saved. Christ incarnate, who is like us in every way except sin, would have died the death of a mortal human being. But Christ also chose to take on death as the judgment of God. The cross did not eliminate what Bart calls our first death, our finitude, but Christ was victorious over death as God's judgment. So death now exists as the sign of God's judgment. And we are assured that this is the judgment of a gracious God. In Bart's reflections, we are reminded of Paul, O oh death, where is thy sting? O oh death, where is thy victory? Not in terms of our finitude, but in terms of the, de- of the death that is divine judgment. Phil mentioned that I wrote a book, uh, It's a very small book on death and dying called Making de- Faithful Decisions at the End of Life. And in that book, I also use these two opposing views of death that I think the Bible teaches us. Death is the enemy. Death is part of God's good creation. But I use them in a different way than Bart does. I argue that the Bible's teaching that death is the enemy indicates that we are to resist death when someone is terminally ill. While the Bible's affirmation that death is part of what it means to be mortal indicates that we are to accept death for me this leads to a contextual understanding of christian ethics whereby we are required to determine in each specific situation of a life-threatening illness whether for this particular person this is a time to resist death or this is a time to accept death however untimely that death may seem This is not what Barth does with this dual affirmation. While he does does repeatedly call us to accept our finitude, in his description of death as the enemy and in his affirmation that being finite is part of God's good creation, Barth leans very heavily on the side of resisting death. As I'll show, this has significant implications for medical ethics at the end of life. A second aspect of Bart's view of death is his claim that God commands us to will to live. The will to live, he says, is deeply embedded in the respect for life. A respect that is not created by life itself, as some Christian humanists may say, but by the command of God. Even if life does not seem to merit respect, we respect it anyway. I fully agree with that affirmation of Bart's. But Bart also says that even if life does not seem worthy of living we are to live it anyway. And here I will take issue with his argument. It's significant to note that the command to will to live is not an unconditionally and absolutely valid command. But those instances where one might not will to live fall within exceptional cases, and they are very limited. Bart's reflections on euthanasia and suicide will provide examples of God's command to will to live. First, euthanasia. As we review Bart's theological reflections on euthanasia, it's important to note, as I mentioned earlier, that physician-assisted suicide is not euthanasia, not in this country, even though some of its critics claim that it is. In medical aid in dying, only the patient, not the physician, and not anyone else can administer the lethal dose of drugs, as would be the case in euthanasia. Nevertheless, Bart's reflections on euthanasia are significant in light of theological reflections on medical aid in dying. When I first started reading this, Bart poses a series of questions that I got very excited about because it made it sound as if he could support medical aid in dying had he encountered it. And here are the questions. At a certain extreme stage in the treatment of a patient, is there not a point where the doctor can no longer help him back to life and where he may thus put an end to his suffering by helping him to die even if only in the form of mercifully not applying means for the artificial prolongation of life. In such a case may not the patient ask the doctor to do this and has he not a right to see the request granted. May not the relatives either in agreement with the patient or even without his consent if he can no longer decide for himself advance the same request with the same right. Can we not think of an ideal case in which patient, relatives, and doctors all arrive at this decision? In such an event, could we really describe its execution as murder? Given that Bart does not give absolute value to human life, one may expect these compassionate questions to be answered in the affirmative, but they are not. Bart says these are tempting questions. But it is for God, and God alone, to make an end to human life. A follow-up question by Bart gives further evidence of how he would have stood against medical aid in dying, as we consider it in light of his reflections on euthanasia. How can the participants in euthanasia, he asked, really know? Or even if they agree, how can they be quite certain that even the life afflicted with the severest suffering has ceased to be the blessing which God intends for this person. I'm going to repeat that. Bart is asking, how can we know that even the life of a person that is afflicted with the severest suffering is not the blessing that God intends for this person? I believe that Bart is wrong on this point. Only the person who is severely ill can know whether life is still a blessing or has become a curse. Only the person who is severely ill can know when she no longer experiences life in terms of the promise that she may live, but instead has the feeling only that she must live. To say that God determines whether the life of the afflicted those afflicted with severe suffering is a blessing completely overlooks the suffering actually experienced by a particular person there are some fates that are worse than death and the idea that god commands us to choose life any anyway and even to believe that such life is a blessing. Not only means that Bart's ethic has taken a non-contextual turn, it has in my opinion become unintentionally cruel. At least at this particular point in his argument, I believe those critics who charge Bart with not taking human experience seriously are correct. Here for me, Bart's understanding of the exceptional case and the divine command are not useful. I don't believe God has ever commanded a terminally ill person to take her life, which would be Bart's reason to say that it is forbidden. But I do not believe that when when illness has taken away every blessing that life has to offer, Bart is wrong to say that only God can make that determination, and the terminally ill person must passively wait until death claims her. Now, it's interesting to know, given his views of euthanasia, that when one moves from euthanasia to the notion of withdrawing life support, then we can ask Bart, would he have allowed patient X to choose to die rather than endure further treatment had she known what her continued life would be? Would he have allowed her once the temporary breathing tube didn't work to say no to the permanent one? knowing that it was gonna lead to a life that would be almost unbearable. Unlike with euthanasia, for which there is no exception, Bart does allow for a carefully stated exception that perhaps means he would have allowed patient X to refuse treatment and to die. Yet in this connection, he says in reference to euthanasia, the question also arises whether this kind of artificial prolongation of life does not amount to human arrogance in the opposite direction, whether the fulfillment of medical duty does not threaten to become fanaticism, reason folly, and the required assisting of human life, a forbidden torture of it. A case is at least conceivable, he says, in which a doctor might have to recoil from his prolongation of life no less than from its arbitrary shortening. We must await further developments in this sphere to get a clear general picture, but it may well be that this special, in this special fear we do have a kind of exceptional case. For it is not a question of arbitrary euthanasia it is a question of the respect which may be claimed by even the dying as such. Bart is here making an important distinction between withdrawing or withholding life-sustaining treatment, which he allows when treatment has become more torture than cure. He's making a distinction between that and euthanasia, which he says is never appropriate. The question for us may be whether we make a distinction between withdrawing life and medical aid in dying. Bart clearly would not have allowed the latter, but would we? And can't we allow the latter without having to claim that God commands it? Can we argue that one is free in faith to take such an action rather than being commanded by God to do it? We will encounter a similar set of questions when we turn to Bart's view of suicide. Like, those who, like me, support physician-assisted death do not believe it is a form of suicide, although those who oppose it do. Originally, physician-assisted suicide was the term that everyone used. But over time, those who support it began to realize that, they began to say, physician-assisted death or medical aid in dying, arguing that The person who commits suicide is not the same as the person who seeks to take her life, taking advantage of physician-assisted death. Because the person, the terminally ill person who takes advantage of physician-assisted death, unlike the suicide, doesn't actually want to die. That person wants to live, but living is no longer a possibility because the illness itself has taken that possibility away. Given that they are going to die and that they cannot will to live beyond what the illness allows, they want to exercise what little control they have left by choosing when and where and how they will die rather than letting illness take its cruel course. But because medical aid in dying does involve someone taking her own life, self-murder, Bart would call it, then his rejection of suicide can apply to physician-assisted death as well. In addressing suicide, Bart points out that a human being has the capacity to do something that no other animal can do, freely dispose of one's life. While we cannot always will to continue to live as people with terminal illnesses all too well know, we can, unlike other animals, dispose of our own lives at a time of our own choosing. Barr suggests some of the reasons we may make such a choice. If we regard our existence as an obvious failure, an intolerable burden, as having no value, or if we can no longer find any pleasure in life, we may believe we have reason to exercise our capacity to cease to make ourselves cease to exist. Significantly, while Bart believes that suicide is a sin, he disagrees with Christians who believe that suicide is a final act of rebellion against God and is therefore unforgivable. He doesn't believe that one's final act can be isolated from all that preceded it so that an individual is judged by that one moment, by that one act alone. He argues that if there is forgiveness of sins at all, which of course he believes there is, there is surely forgiveness of suicide. But there is no turn to cheap grace here. Knowing that God's mercy extends to the one who commits suicide does not mean that one finds an excuse or worse a justification for the act of self-murder. Divine forgiveness does not make legitimate the act that is being forgiven. Suicide, Bart says, cannot be extenuated, excused, or justified. Bart also rejects the belief that suicide is always rebellion against God. Many people, he says, cannot know based on their own experience what a person who committed suicide actually felt. It may not have been an act of rebellion against God at all but the act of someone who was tortured by questions of whether God was for or against her, of whether God had indeed abandoned her. Many theologians and theological moralists, Bart says, do not in practice know properly what affliction is, because exegetically, dogmatically and even pastorally, they know all too well in theory. So here, I think we find a challenge to those who say in support of or in opposition to Karl Barth, that he believed experience has no place in theology. Nevertheless, for Barth, if suicide is not rebellion against God, it is at least an act of usurped sovereignty, the result of forgetting that life is not our own, but is on loan from God. Suicide is, Bart says, a frivolous, arbitrary, and criminal violation of the commandment, thou shalt not kill. There is, he says, no ground on which to justify this. Returning again to the four possible reasons one would choose suicide, life appears to be an obvious failure, an intolerable burden, as having no value, or that from which one can no longer receive any pleasure, Bart writes, for it is not even for man himself to decide whether his existence is a success or failure, whether it is tolerable or intolerable, whether it is, whether its continuation is possible or impossible, far less whether it is worthwhile or mean and worthless. The creator, giver, and lord of life decides all these things and no one else. Life is a loan from God, Bart says. God can take it back. But so long as God does not do this, so long as man has it, it is given him only as an inalienable loan. This is the same argument put forth by many Christians today against physician-assisted death. God gives life, only God can take it away. For them, even a person with a terminal illness cannot choose when life should end apart from letting the illness take its course. It's important to note that three of these four attitudes toward life may indeed be the experience of someone with a terminal illness who seeks physician assisted death. Illness can turn life into an intolerable burden no matter what family members say the terminally ill person may believe that life has no longer has value one most certainly may reach a point where illness has destroyed even the smallest pleasures involved in one's own existence but bart's description of the depression that can lead one to suicide does not necessarily apply to the one who turns to physician assisted death in the um, in the context of terminal illness. For the suicide, Bart says, God has become hidden and sees herself as alone and sovereign. But I argue that the terminally ill Christian who seeks medical aid in dying may actually do so in full confidence of faith that God has not abandoned her, that is, she is not alone in death any more than she was alone in life. Even when death comes by self-administered lethal dose of drugs, a Christian may well believe that God is, as always, present, providing comfort, courage, and peace in the face of death. Being forced to live until the illness has taken its course, its cruel course, means without qualification, being told by someone else, You must live. Oddly, or at least surprisingly, Bart does allow for the exceptional case in suicide, but he is extremely cautious in identifying the exceptional case as extremely rare. We must avoid any arbitrary denial of the possibility of the exception, but we are also to avoid the even more arbitrary assumption that exceptions are not uncommon. But the exception that he gives has to do with the taking of our lives, the laying down of our lives for the sake of another. They could not be used today to consider whether Bart would say physician-assisted death would fall among the exceptional cases. It would not. One thing that can be gained from Bart's argument by the person who supports medical aid in dying is his affirmation that the life of the person who is dying, who is now dependent on others for all aspects of living, is not worthless, has not been abandoned by God, and should not be abandoned by others. This is an aside, but it bothers me a great deal when I make these arguments or when I say things that are some people who would rather find a way to seek death than face a diagnosis with Alzheimer's. People are outrageous at that suggestion, but are they not also the people who might object to us having greater taxes, giving more money toward excellent care for the elderly, for the dying, for people who have dementia? Nevertheless, I agree with Bart that the person who is dying, that person's life is not worthless and that person deserves our attention, has not been abandoned by God and should not be abandoned by us. Bart argues that when someone is no longer able to work, earn a living, enjoy life, communicate, that person is not, for that reason, unfit to live. One can readily discern Discern that Bart's historic situation where some people were considered undesirable because mentally or physically disabled influenced his words here. But even in medical aid in dying, we need to agree with Bart at this point. We don't support medical aid in dying out of a belief that the dying person's life has become worthless and so is now easily discarded. Rather, the dying person needs to be treated with respect and as one whose life has value, but now as one who is dying. I believe that this respect can include supporting the person's freedom to take her life before the disease does its worst. worst. And now, briefly, some final words. One could argue that Bart's reflections on death don't serve someone who, like me, supports medical aid in dying. But I disagree. I have read quite a number of theological arguments against medical aid in dying. A few of them, like those proposed by Alan Virhey, are very thoughtful. But many of them, like those proposed by Eric Metaxas, are not. Bart's theological claims regarding death as the enemy death as our punishment for sin, death as part of being created finite, and about the unique opportunity that is ours within the lifespan of time, provide a profound theological foundation for Christians to talk about death. And while not all of us will agree with his reflections on euthanasia and suicide, or his employment of the divine command wedded with the exceptional case, even then, his, his reflections are worthy of our attention regarding medical aid in dying, which should not be casually or uncritically supported by any of us. Eberhard Betke says that Bart wrote this very close to the end of his life. How do I know whether I shall die easily or with difficulty? I only know that my dying too is part of my life. And then, this is the destination, the limit and the goal of all of us. I shall no longer be, but I shall be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ, in and with my whole being, with all the real good and the real evil that I have thought, said, and done with all the bitterness that I have suffered and all the beauty that I have enjoyed. There I shall only be able to stand as the failure that I doubtless was in all things, but by virtue of his promise as a peccator Eustace, and as that I shall be able to stand. Then, in the light of grace, all that is now dark will become very clear. And so Karl Barth, along with the first question and its answer of the Heidelberg Catechism, reminds us what faith affirms in the midst of death. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ.